everyone, Andy here. I usually start our end of year episodes with snarky jokes about spending time with family and being jolly over the holidays, but you know what? It's been a crappy year for a lot of people thanks to coronavirus, and I'm gesturing broadly here about everything else. So uh, I'll skip that and uh, wish everyone a happy Christmas break and a a happy new year, and we'll get on with our end of year episode. In this episode, our three regular panellists. This is Andrew with NFocus. Tori from Nintendo Focus. Plus guests from our new sister shows. This is Neil from PlayState Podcast. And this is Andy also from PlayState Podcast. Will join us in selecting their favourite Switch games across a number of arbitrarily selected categories. So let's get on with it. Best game we missed last year. For me, the best game I missed last year has got to be Way of the Passive Fist, which uh, I talked about way back at the beginning of the year in episode number 108. I think it was one of the first episodes we did uh, when the social distancing measures kicked in in the United States, so we were all at home with a lot of extra time on our hands, and that's kind of been the mark of this year. I think it's going to be an issue lurking in the background of everything we talk about throughout this episode. Oh boy, but Way of the Passive Fist. I've described this game a couple times on the podcast as being an anti-beat-em-up game. It plays a lot like an old beat-em-up game from, from the 90s, popular arcade genre, except that instead of mashing buttons to beat enemies up until they get knocked out and fall over and blink out of existence in Way of the Passive Fist, you take a more uh, passive approach to combat and you wait for enemies to strike at you and you press either block or dodge depending upon what type of attack they use and this wears down their stamina meter and then once their stamina meter runs out then you can use a simple poke attack where the player character literally pokes them in the chest with his fingers and they fall over and blink out of existence and I loved it I absolutely loved it it's short game it's a cheap game it doesn't stay any longer than it needs to and then it ends i absolutely adored it way of the passive fist make sure you play it because i don't think many people did sayonara wild hearts has always been on my watch list being a big fan of music and games it was interesting to see the mix of the two mediums together without just making another rhythm game the game is a concept album with a dynamic rhythm game based obstacle course with plenty of surprises to be found. And on the topic of rhythm games, I also finally played and finished Cadence of Hyrule, the Crypt of the Necrodancer and Legend of Zelda mashup. As a non-driver in real life, I spent a lot of my uh, childhood and early teens preferring arcade and kart races to Sims. The older I've gotten, but still not driving, the opposite has become true, and now I spend heaps more time in games like Gran Turismo and Project Cars where realism is is more apparent. Grid Autosport then kind of blends both ethoses but still frames it mostly around professional circuit racing. It has five different styles, they only count four as Tuner is utterly terrible. Grid Autosport has you catered no matter your flavour. From open wheel to touring cars and street races, everything's there. As I alluded to above, the handling is is light and arcadey, but the racing still feels authentic, and the AI is utterly brutal and fun to race against. Best of all, it runs beautifully on Switch with a solid frame rate, plenty of on-track opponents, and realistic damage physics. It's perfect for both the big screen, it's even better with either of the Mario Kart wheels when set up for the analog pedals, and it's also good for racing on the go. And that's why it's my favourite Switch release that I missed from 2019. And my runners-up for this one are Mutant Year Zero, and Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. My game that I missed last year was Luigi's Mansion 3. Oh, strangely enough, it's a third in the, t- in the title series. Who knows? Um, it's it, a ghost hunter game as before. Luigi's Mansion 3, the main reason for this is because I, I picked it up um, only a few months ago. And uh, there's a bit of a, a story behind it in terms of uh, why I, I picked it up. And it's it's um, sort of quite a, a sort of personal thing i'm not going to go into it but um i i was able to share um the gameplay of this with with a family member uh, and we played it and uh in, enjoyed you know solving the puzzles together and it's it's really sweet i think that one problem i suppose is the the way in which you uh dispatch uh ghosts is very similar from one to the other but it's got some great uh animation great comedy 
graphically just a beautiful uh, thing to look at. Um, there's some really clever set pieces and even things like mirrors that you can look at. You can see uh, things on the other side of the room, so on your side of the room, mm. looking in. Um, so the, the sort of things that you you have to look in the mirrors to be able to see what else is going on in the room to be able to solve some of the some of the issues. So it, it, it's a clever, really clever puzzle game, um, solidly made. Um, I couldn't I couldn't really uh, recommend it more if you've not played it. Uh, if you like puzzle games and you like sort of cutesy uh, looking graphics, uh, it's just it's just nice to play. It's not scary. Uh, <laughs> there a couple of times when I jumped a little bit, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's good fun. It's very well done. So mine was Pokemon Sword, and this is one of those things I was running through the list of um, games I played this year to to talk about this. I thought, oh, um, Pokemon Sword, I'll I'll that's going to be on my list somewhere, and uh, then I looked up at it and realised it came out last year. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i missed it last year without even knowing i'd missed it and um so, so for me this is actually the first pokemon game i've ever played um i i haven't had it uh i never had a ds or 3ds etc etc so i've just never never been at a point where i've had played one um so it's a, a new experience for me um i have to say i've i haven't gotten massively far in it yet but uh, i've really enjoyed what i've played of it so far uh, it's quite nice to play something that's a bit more sort of gentle in, in terms of how it plays rather than it being you know, the end of the world in an RPG, uh, just going around collecting all these creatures just to become the, the best Pokemon trainer there is. Um, I did used to watch Pokemon cartoon when I was at university because that's, of course, the thing you do when you're at uni. <laughs> so I, so it's not that I wasn't familiar with, with, with you know, how it all works and so on. Uh, I think what gets me the most is it really feels like you're playing through the cartoon and the graphics are graphics are very impressive but uh, but yeah so far i'm i'm greatly enjoying it and hopefully that will continue best port or remaster as part of the mario 35th anniversary celebrations one of my favorite wii games finally came to the switch through 3d all-stars bringing a very high resolution version of super mario galaxy being able to play what was one of the best but blurriest games on the Wii, not just with a crispness to a fantastic art style, but a redone control scheme was a brilliant nostalgia hit. This year also brought another Xenoblade Chronicles port, this time with an art style update to match Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and an extra chapter to flesh out the world and give us a taste for what the future of the franchise may hold. I'd never played the original Catherine, but had always wanted to try it as I'm a big fan of Atlas's work. Uh, but I've always been put off by my inability to figure out if the game was hot trash or not from the court of public opinion. So I was delighted when they announced a remaster, fresh with brand new story content. The result is a terrific game that melds persona storytelling, uh, visual novel style decision making, and backs it up with an incredibly solid block climbing puzzle mechanic that could easily stand on its own. Some less than ideal elements come to the surface, there's some transphobia, of which to be fair the offender instantly regrets, but some of the supporting characters are also a bunch of unrelenting a-holes, but the overall plot, its mysteries, and its resolution remain absorbing throughout. My runners-up for this category are XCOM 2, War of the Chosen, and Burnout Paradise Remastered. For years I begged and hoped and prayed and pleaded and desired and coveted and many many more synonyms for ports of borderlands and this was the year we finally got them so naturally for this category i i've not picked borderlands because <laughs> uh, it's a game i've played a lot that's not to uh suggest that i don't love it just as much as i always have just when something came along that was a game that i knew was popular but just wasn't a game i'd ever played because it wasn't a genre i was particularly interested in it wasn't an activity that i was particularly typically like doing uh, but this game just completely captured me when i sat down to play it and has been one of the most memorable play experiences for me this year was burnout paradise remastered one thing i love doing in video games and it, it, it's something that really captures me and I think is a recurring theme in the games that I really gush about, even though I don't always acknowledge it as being the case. But I love 
adventure games that just cut me loose in a world and just let me discover things. And Burnout Paradise totally lets you do that, even though it's a racing game. It's a car game. But at literally every intersection, anywhere there's a traffic light, you can begin a race. And there's different kinds of races. There's your standard races. There's your death matches where you have to reach a certain point while every other car on the on the island is trying to kill you <laughs> and there's time trials and it's all just made really fun to play because it's it's a sandbox and you can go about reaching these destinations any way you want and just so long as you place first or as long as you get there alive or as long as you beat the time whatever the event you're doing is then it doesn't matter. It's just like, good for you. You did it. You win. And I really, I just loved that. I loved finding all the hidden paths. And it's even a fun game to explore, even when you're not doing the events. There's hidden cars hidden all over the place to find. There's billboards you have to crash through, and you have to find them all and crash through them all. And some of them are actually pretty well hidden. And there's all kinds of hidden jumps. It's kind of like something that Grand Theft Auto tried to do. It's just Grand Theft Auto. I I never enjoyed driving in that game enough to bother doing those kind of events, but Burnout Paradise totally did it, and it's an excellent port as well. It looks pretty good for, uh, you know, as old as it is and for the platform it's running on, and it runs at 60 frames per second, which, considering everything it's doing, is very impressive. It's a great game that I did not expect to enjoy as much as I did, and it's definitely my best port of the year. Best indie. I'm going to say that my, my best indie game is of this year, good job, uh, exclamation mark, just for good measure. Uh, and the reason for that is became it came out at the beginning of the year, when lockdown uh, for whatever it was that happened this year, I can't remember now. Um, basically, um, it was just at the right time. It was a, a, a massive boost of comedy and amusement and, and general chaos uh, playing this game. But the level design is beautiful. The, the humors, it really bleeds off the screen. The way they've drawn and animated it is really, really sweet and colorful and and beautiful and some of the puzzles are quite satisfying to to complete so i think in in all uh, my favorite one would be would be good job um mainly because it's got uh, you know and a massive amount of silliness it plays really well on on the switch completely designed for the switch and um it's even got a two-player game as well so you can you can then play with your nearest and dearest uh it's a great little game to play um certainly for parties or um or, or whatever really I, I really enjoyed it a short hike is exactly what it says on the tin as claire a bird with something heavy on her mind while holidaying with her aunt has to hike all the way to the top of hawk peak provincial park for mobile reception she's not exactly single-minded in her goal as she meets other holiday goers helps them with their problems and explores the entire island although fairly short even if you want to do everything or take your time exploring hawk peak is a wonderfully dense little area with so much to explore see and do. There's so much delight and charm found in every nook and cranny that you could easily be convinced it's a Nintendo game, a vibe not entirely dissuaded by its DS-style visuals. Look, what I'm saying is that it's a walking sim by way of Animal Crossing, but one that takes a left turn at night in the woods, though not quite as sinister. If that doesn't sound appealing to you, then I don't know how to help you. Marona's up here are Void Bastards and Carrion. My choice for best indie is Bug Fables The Everlasting Sapling. And I do that for the simple reason that it's the Mario Party sequel I've always wanted, but have consistently not been given by Nintendo and by the creators that they have put in charge of the Mario Party series (laughs) these past pretty darn close to 20 years now it's been since Thousand Year Door came out. But it's so much more than just an indie sequel to Paper Mario, even though it it is very clear that that's what it wanted to be, but it's very much its own game too. Uh, Its story is completely its own. It takes the combat system from Paper Mario and 
adds a lot more strategy and depth to it. Like the Paper Mario games, as, as much as I enjoy the RPG installments of it, they're pretty easy games. Uh, Bug Fables challenged me from beginning to end, and I loved it. If you are a fan of the Paper Mario RPGs, Paper Mario 64, or the Thousand Year Door, you should play this game. And if you're a fan of modern RPGs that, that don't have the big budgets that the big publishers put into RPGs, just turning them into these bloated 100, 200 hour messes with graphics that look amazing, but stories that aren't amazing and gameplay that's just a tedious grind and not fun to play. You should play Bug Fables because it's the best RPG I played this year. Hades is a standout pick for this year, not just for best indie game, but perhaps one of the best games of the year overall. A huge variety of gameplay options and the most untedious replayability system I've probably engaged with, and a stellar art direction and sound design. Even the story and world building are phenomenal and expertly integrated, building upon a rich history of Greek mythology. This year also saw Carrion, a refreshing yet disturbing take on the Metroid formula that sees you play as the monster rather than the hero. This is a difficult one for me. I have quite a long list of uh, indies I've really enjoyed this year. Um, I, I would probably pick Hades, but I'm going to talk more about that in some of the later awards. So I am going to talk about A Short Hike instead. Uh, Short Hike is a, a game by a chap called Adam Robinson Yu. Uh, made this on his own. It's uh, quite a short little game. Uh, and basically you play a, a bird who's gone on holiday on an island uh, and you decide that you're, you're suffering from a bit of malaise so you're going to hike to the top of the, the mountain on the island. Uh, and it's just a, a very sweet little game really. There's no, you know, there's no fighting, there's no death or anything like that. It's just you wandering around, meeting people. Uh, you can choose to help various people you meet along the way if they've lost a watch, for example, um, you can race people up the mountain and uh, and ultimately then it's just about you finding your way to the top. Um, the main reason you're actually finding your way to the top uh, is just to get a mobile phone signal so you can contact your mum. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's just a really sweet little game. Uh, and yeah. if you if you feel the need for something that's uh, a bit of a change of pace, that's just uh, just going to take you a few hours to finish, then I can I can really highly recommend it. Best community. 2020 has been a year where we all collectively had the experience of being disconnected from the rest of the world. Luckily, Animal Crossing came along to give us a way to connect again, share our islands, designs, and sometimes villages. Seeing so many people come together online to play Animal Crossing together was an amazing experience in itself, perhaps comparable only to the first couple of months when Pokemon Go first came out. We all know I'm not much of a multiplayer person unless I can play solo. Uh, and my runners-up in this category are only here on the basis that I've played them online at all. Uh, although thinking about it, Warface was a worthy contender with its PvE mode that brings out the best in its players. That said, Animal Crossing New Horizons is the clear winner here. Despite having possibly the worst technical approach to connecting with others online, people stuck through it to visit each other's islands to share gifts, design, and help each other out in the stock market. Even I took part in all that. Not only in terms of the online functionality though, I've loved seeing other people's islands on social media, seeing how creative they've gotten with the range of tools given to them. It's a game about being nice to each other, and people responded to it by, you know, being nice to each other. And that's nice. Nice. My runners up here are Warface and Captain Tsubasa Rise of New Champions. Best Narrative Design so for this, uh, I did say I was going to talk a lot about Hades. <laughs> uh, I would have to say Hades for this from, from my perspective. The The narrative of this is genius. So it's a, it's a roguelike game, if you haven't played it, uh, where you play the son of Hades, uh, a chap called Zagreus, and basically you're trying to escape hell. And of course, that's not an easy task, as you can imagine. The whole point of being in hell is you can't get out. And he's continuously trying to, to make his way out. And when he dies, he ends up back at the start again. 
but the narrative is built and into this flow of you trying to escape dying and going back through again because uh, you're a god of course you're effectively immortal so you're not really dying in that sense you're just being sent back home effectively and each time you fail hades is there mocking you oh you've you know you've died again that wasn't very good was it and so on but then there are narrative strands that build all the way through the game until you finally finish it uh, and it, again it turns out to be quite a quite a heartfelt game in the end um the narrative takes twists and turns that you wouldn't necessarily expect it's yeah it's quite a quite a, a sweet ending really uh what i love about it as well is there's all these different little side stories going throughout the game and even when you finished it uh so i finished it and i still had a, a huge amount left to do uh, so there's plenty from a narrative perspective to keep you going back just to to see how different character stories play out as well this was a close one uh, pretty much between Catherine Full Body, thanks to its branching paths and the absorbing plot that I alluded to earlier, and Void Bastards. But Void Bastards edges it. It's a roguelike shooter from the devs that worked on the Bioshock series, uh, and it uses a wonderfully British sense of humour to great effect, with a tale that pokes fun at crap- crappy office politics and the bureaucracy we live in general life. Uh, the format in which the plot is told perfectly aligns with its genre and, and its mechanics and brilliantly contextualizes the events and repeated deaths you'll experience throughout and that's why for me it's got my favorite narrative design this year my runners up here are paper mario and the origami king simply just for its uh, comedy and catherine full body best narrative design is down to um two no it's not really i've got a particular one which is the last campfire um i originally played this on another platform uh, I liked it so much that I played it on two different platforms. So it, it's actually um, quite a sweet little game. Uh, the reason I put it for this is because it's um, it's just a very beautiful, calm. Um, we've even described it as a as a nice warm hug of a game. Uh, I'll, I'll let Andy it definitely that. is that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess for me, um, the reason I said that at the time was I was struggling a little bit personally at the, at that point in time and. The thought of playing a sort of high tempo action game with loads of killing and so on i just i just couldn't really face it at that point in time and um i i saw this had come out uh it's from hello games uh company that i've i've always really liked their work um even no man's sky despite its problems i think you know they they have a very very good approach to anything they make uh and having read some of the reviews i thought oh, i'll give this a try and yeah it just it was exactly that it was just a really sweet game again uh, just very gentle, enjoyable, calm, and it was a, it was a little bit bittersweet, wasn't it? I think it wasn't necessarily yeah, the cheeriest yeah. of endings, um, but just the whole thing and the, and the characters are really cutesy and but but cutesy in a way that you feel you feel sorry for them and you want to help them. Yeah, very much so. And it, it has a sort of um, uh, to me a sort of mental health type of scenario, which sounds a little bit deep perhaps but the way in which it's formed means that you 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 want you start to understand how other people might feel not not just the characters on the screen but you you kind of uh you can express um within the game i suppose or via the game how you feel about different things and i I think it's it's interesting to uh to see how they've they've captured that um that feeling and uh one of the, the cool things about it as well is the way in which it's um it's narrated by uh, a wonderful actress who's got the best accent I've ever it's, it's heard. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. she's. Um, I think she's Swedish English, isn't she? I can't. Yeah, can't remember her name now. Sadly, we can't. But um, but yes, the last campfire certainly wins my narrative design game of this year, just because it's 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 just lovely. It's just a lovely game. It's not the longest game in the world, but it's it's got some great little puzzles and everything fits together really nicely. But yeah, it's a gorgeous little game. One reason I love video games is because they present unique storytelling opportunities that you can't do in a book or in a TV show or in a movie or in a streaming series or whatever it is because it requires player interaction. But most of the time when we're talking about narrative design, we're really just we're just talking about characters or just the plot of the game, which are not really things that you have to interact with for for them to be there like a lot of the best stories in video games could very easily be turned into hollywood movies without having to change any of it um 
I won't give examples because the ones that are immediately springing to mind aren't Switch games. <laughs> but for my choice in this category, I've chosen Kentucky Route Zero because it actually is a game that is very interesting in how it's designed. The best description of Kentucky Route Zero's narrative design I've ever seen is there are no choices because a lot of the times when you're playing games, when they do have you know, a narrative that you can actually interact with, you're just making choices, and they send you down branching paths going one way or another. Kentucky Route Zero doesn't really work that way. Uh, Kentucky Route Zero, there are no choices. You are simply telling the game who you are, and the game doesn't change as a result of that, but how you feel about the game does, and how you feel about what happens next in the story is going to change based on the choice that you just made. And Kentucky Route Zero is about delivering antiques to an address that doesn't exist on any map, but it's about so much more than that as well. It's about the failures of the world that we live in, how they've failed to support the younger generations. It's about trying to work, and it's about trying to survive, and it's about all the different things that happen to us that we have no real control over, but how they, they change us anyway. It's certainly not the most fun game I played this year. Um, I, I, I can't even really you know recommend it as a great game, but in terms of its narrative design, there was really nothing else I played like it this year. From a technical standpoint, it was one of the most impressive games I played. I'm not talking about in like its visuals, but just what it must have taken to get this game produced and, you know, working <laughs> in a coherent fashion uh, must have been an absolutely sprawling map of paragraphs on a board with strings connecting everything together so you see what connects where. Uh, Kentucky Route Zero was very memorable. Atlas definitely have a reputation for crafting interesting and often branching stories. Catherine Full Body is no exception, with its puzzle gameplay broken up by a very in-depth, almost visual novel level of cutscenes and dialogue. And being a game all about relationships, it's way too easy to get invested in the cast of characters. Hades does come in very close, however, with the narrative expanding alongside your character's gameplay growth. Best soundtrack. Short answer from me for this one, but my winner is Animal Crossing New Horizons. The reason? Well, there's not many games that I could play over 400 hours of during a single year and not tire of the smooth jazz that accompanies its every single chore. And that's all I've really got to say about it. My runners up here are Catherine Fullbody, because of that infamous Atlas music, and Streets of Rage 4. For this category, it would be remiss of me not to mention Kentucky Route Zero again, which has several very haunting bluegrass performances from a group called the Bed Quilt Ramblers, who appear at different points in the story to perform these bluegrass songs, which are rightly famous and probably the best remembered and best known parts of the game. But those moments are very spare, so that that doesn't really go into the soundtrack part of the game. I found another game this year had a much more impressive and much more prominent soundtrack, and that game was Eichenfell, which was a real surprise release for me late in the year. I did not expect to enjoy or be as impressed by that game as I was. Eichenfell is a very retro-styled game, and retro is a word that gets misused a lot. It's It means something new that's made to look old. It doesn't just mean something that's old. It definitely lives up to that because it, it looks like a Game Boy Color game, and it even sounds like a Game Boy Color game at the start, but after a while, the music becomes so much more than 8-bit bips and boops. It starts using more synthesized mus 
musical instruments in it, and later on it even starts introducing vocal tracks in a couple of its songs. And just in terms of artistry and volume, Eichenfell was the most impressive soundtrack for me this year. Volume was not a pun. I used that word on purpose, and I used it the way I wanted to use it. So for me, oh, this this is a really difficult one. <laughs> so yeah. I, I had a short list of three, uh, and those three were Hades, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and Raji and Ancient Epic. Um, all for different reasons, really. So so Raji because it's just something a little bit different. Um, everything is based in Indian mythology, and of course you get then Indian music that comes with that, and it was just nice to hear something different, really. Animal Crossing just because of well, KK Slider more than anything. It was just quite fun getting all of the different uh, pieces of music, chip tunes, and so on. Um, but I'm probably going to have to say Hades again for this. Um, Supergiant Games have used the same same musician through all of their works. Uh, if you go back to the likes of Transistor, then the, the music in that was a real standout. But uh, I love the way that they've interwoven music into the game, uh, whether it's Orpheus occasionally singing in uh, in the main hall in hell or whether it's bumping into um, one of the muses as you wander through uh, trying to escape it's uh, it's just very well realized mine has got to be streets of rage for um, which sounds like a really odd one i suppose from face value but um, the music on this is uh, just incredible uh, it, it really pulls back in for the the original streets of rage games and the, you know the the uh, musicians from the original uh, are in there along with some some newer um, newer artists as well uh, but it, it just feels exactly how it should do and it's really full-on really nice uh, music and it just it just I don't know Streets of Rage 4 man come on play it it's great yeah it just begs <laughs> to be played and the music draws you in even deeper and you just it just feels great and I love the way it um, it's interwoven through and there's so many different tracks and, and things in there that, that you don't get bored of it from beginning to end and it's, it's just beautiful so that's my soundtrack of the year i know i'm gonna get picked on for this one but tokyo mirage sessions sharp fe encore has one of my favorite soundtracks from the wii u library so i was very excited to see it coming to switch as well it's very J-pop, with an actual team of J-pop artists working on the soundtrack as if the idols in-game were actual people or real-life performers. And I know a lot of people who know me would expect me to say Doom Eternal, and it is a close second, if only for building upon what Doom 2016 did with its soundtrack and carrying that legacy of Doom forward. <laughs> Best sound design. For best sound design, I come back to Kentucky Route Zero. As I mentioned with the soundtrack with the Bed Quilt Ramblers, I was really impressed and I was really moved by these songs, more so because of the way they were used than their actual appearance in the games. And that goes into the sound design. But even when the bluegrass songs aren't playing at these key moments in certain chapters of the game there's a lot of ambient sound that really sells the environments that you're in most specifically there's this moment in one of the interludes where you are cast as a background character in a one-act play and you you literally spend this entire play sitting at a table watching the other actors and actresses play out their parts and reading all their dialogue and if you want you can either watch the play happening or you can turn and you can look out and you can see the people in, in this audience in this poorly attended theater watching this this one act play but then things start getting really strange because this figure appears uh, who becomes important in the next chapter which if you're doing the interludes in order you haven't done that chapter yet this figure is accompanied by this absolutely haunting buzzing noise that starts 
almost inaudibly and just builds and builds and builds until it consumes the entire soundscape of the game. Even though I played this game back in January or February, this sound has just stuck with me and has not gone away. It's one of the most horrifying noises I've ever heard and really sells this creepy creature that suddenly appears. So it certainly deserves it for more reasons than that, but that is the specific example that has stuck with me all through this year for Kentucky Route Zero and its excellent sound design. For best sound design, I've picked Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. It might sound like an interesting pick, but bringing all the sounds and music and even the voice casting forward from Breath of the Wild and making it all work in an entirely different game and genre hasn't gone unnoticed by me at least. Even simple things like moving through the menus make me feel like I'm back playing that original game. Okay, so when I look at the category for best sound design, for me the remit should be about how the musical sound effects of a game work in tandem with its other elements. That could be how they play against the story's themes, or how, how they have a powerful effect on gameplay, and in my choice it's Streets of Rage 4, it's the latter and for a few reasons. Firstly, getting competent at most games is mostly about finding your rhythm. That's not to say that you play every game to the beat of its soundtrack, but more about how you get used to a given game's feel, how you settle into knowing what button does what, or instinctively knowing what to press in a given situation. With Streets of Rage 4, however, the soundtrack is vital to how quickly that happens. The up-tempo electronic soundtrack helped me quickly find my feet in a genre I don't typically play a lot of, that side-scrolling beat-em-up, so more of a 1v1 fighter guy. Uh, and its musical rhythm gave me the tools to get into the pattern of taking down its many enemies. Secondly, uh, that's not only true in the moment-to-moment -moment combat, but also over the course of a whole level. Streets of Rage 4's music is ever-evolving, adding new layers or cues as you progress. As you replay stages, you unwittingly start learning certain events that happen along the way, which also happen in line with the music, which is a, a sign of good sound design for me. Thirdly and lastly, the audio feedback for each hit or throw is so perfect that you're never left in doubt as to whether you've made a successful hit or not. Combined with the other audio elements I'd already mentioned, those hits become almost musical when tapped out along with the soundtrack. To be more flowery about it, the game is the conductor, you are a musician, and your virtual fists are your instruments. And that's why it's my winner for this category. No runners up for this one, nothing else really stood out as well. Best visual design. Okay, so for this, I'm going to go for Raji and Ancient Epic. Um, again, uh, as I said for when I was talking about soundtrack, for me, it's just that it's that little bit different to, to games you might have play, played elsewhere. Um, visually, it's a stunning game anyway. Uh, the graphics are, are very impressive. The, the environments are, are vast. They give you a real sense of scale. But what I really particularly love about this is how they've interwoven the story. So the story might be that you're stood in front of a series of murals and then you'll have the narrators telling you the story of those murals as you walk past them. Um, but then when you get to a cut scene, for example, rather than just being your standard move to the same characters doing, doing whatever they're doing, you then get these stunningly um, animated pieces of artwork, basically. Um, it's very, very different jumping mythology slightly it almost reminds me a little bit of the greek urns you get uh, it's that that similar sort of art style uh, but it's just a, amazingly well written and really embeds you in in indian culture my winner for this one is carrion there's so much to love about carrion's visual design all conveyed in some of the most deftly detailed pixel art i've ever seen there's the colors with the low dim of the facility's emergency lighting the reddish colour of the monster's fleshy mass, and the amount of gore that you splash around as you move through areas that contrast and pop against the dark and dank or the cold and scientific backdrops. Uh, what I really love more than anything though is how it works in motion, and I'm of course talking specifically about the monster in that respect. Honestly, I love pixel art, Mikey over at our sister show Power of X has a weird aversion to it, but I've never seen pixel art used in a way that feels so organic and so suitably disgusting. The creature practically pulsates, and I'm really into the way its tendrils shoot out at every surface it can as you move smoothly through every space, while obliterating or eating everything in your path. It's utterly superb. My runners up here are Void Bastards and Captain Tsubasa Rise of New Champions, just purely because it offered something a bit different. 
Streets of Rage 4 comes back in because, oh my goodness, it's got some great graphics. Um, hand-drawn, beautiful. Uh, I'll say I'll use the word bouncy because I don't know why, but you know, I'm going to say bouncy. Um, <laughs> bouncy graphics. That sounds like it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> no, in a good way. In a good way. So it, it, it's just a gorgeous game. It, it begs to be played. And it's something which is... Um, which is really cool about it is the way the lighting works on this game. You know, it's hand-drawn stuff, and you can move your character from you know, from one uh, light source to another, and it affects the way the way things look. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. It drips off the screen in a in a you know an amazing way. I played this title on two different machines. So I originally had it on uh, on Xbox, and I played it on there, and I loved it so much that uh, I actually bought it uh, on. The Switch, uh, and there is some reason for this. It's mainly because uh, I've got four controllers on the Switch, and it plays beautifully, beautifully well on it. And um, uh, yeah, I I played with my family, all four of us playing uh, Streets of Rage Four. Uh, absolutely enjoyed it. I say visually, it's one of the most stunning games I've seen this year. And um, I know it's it's you know it's an old beat 'em up and whatever else, but I, I, you just can't. I, I can't even begin to explain how amazing it is but yeah just have a look it's great yeah i'm gonna have to buy it aren't i (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely fair enough i said this last year and i'm gonna say it this year because i still mean it the switch is not the most powerful console on the market so when you're looking at the best you're not looking for the games made with the biggest budgets and with the most powerful tech because the Switch does not, just does not support that kind of visual design. You, you need to look for the games that have a specific art style and maybe a more limited art style, a deliberately spare art style, or maybe just an art style that looks beautiful but doesn't require powerful hardware to run and that's what my choice has gone for is uh is spiritfarer from thunder lotus games which is an indie studio who are notable for their just gorgeous hand-drawn animation in all the games they've produced they have other games on the switch including jotun which i played and thought was beautiful but didn't think the game itself was very good Uh, spiritfarer is a, a management sim where you help these animal spirits who are approaching the ends of their lives to work through the last of their business and keep them comfortable on your ship as it travels across the sea that represents the end of life. The animation and the amount of detail put into the animations really tells you who these characters are, and nothing speaks to this better than when you hug the characters because you have to do this at least once a day to keep their spirits up because that's just the kind of game this is it's a very touchy-feely game and it's wonderful for that and never do i feel more affection for these characters who who can be pushy and can be abrasive and be a little annoying and maybe even a little offensive but you got to take care of them anyway and When you give them a hug and sometimes they're surprised, sometimes they're even a little reluctant or even a little resentful, but then they get into it. And the smile on their face or the snuggle that they do or just the resigned acceptance that it's happening that they experience is all communicated completely without dialogue. It's just wonderful. If I remember seeing anything from a game this year, it's what each one of these characters looks like when they're getting hugged. So that's why I've chosen Spiritfarer for best visual design this year. I've already mentioned Carrion's Metroid influences, and while the gameplay does have a very unique spin on that classic formula, the art style definitely pays much more homage to its roots with its pixelated 16-bit sort of presentation. And that's not just to say it's another 8 or 16-bit game, It does have its own flourishes that really do add to that ambiguity and creepy factor of the monster and game world. Another shout out to Hades, of course, for its polished art direction. It 
makes me flip-flop between is it 2D or is it 3D? Top three games of the year. I have cheated ever so slightly on this, I have to admit, in that one of my three games is actually DLC rather than a full game. Uh, and that is the Watcher DLC for Slay the Spire. Uh, so if you've never played Slay the Spire, it's uh, a card-based battler. So think Magic the Gathering, that sort of thing, but in roguelike form. So every time you do a run in this game, you have to start from scratch, um, new new deck of cards, etc. You have to collect new cards as you go through that particular run. And then you have different characters. So in the original game, you have three characters. Uh, this is basically adding a fourth to the mix as well. Uh, she's something called a blind ascetic, the Watcher. Um, so her powers are slightly different, a bit more elemental. And what I love about this is just how brilliantly they've they've integrated an additional character. I mean, effectively, it's, it's basically a fourth version of the game, if you like. You know, just totally separate to, to the others uh, and as complete as it can be. Uh, I just can't speak highly enough of this game. It is hugely, hugely addictive. Uh, I've sunk many, many hours into it through various runs. And I can't can't speak highly enough of it. So that's that's my third game. Um, my other two, uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons and Hades. So I, I guess I've already spoken a little bit about Hades. Uh, Animal Crossing, I think, is one of those bits of uh, serendipity, really, wasn't it? This year, it came out at the perfect moment, really, for everyone experiencing lockdown as part of the coronavirus pandemic. At a point in time where life had kind of come to a standstill, having something where you could play just a, a happy game, which effectively is almost like living a separate life, setting up your island, getting KK Slider to come over and, and play some gigs for you and and so on and so forth, collecting the collecting animals, collecting fish. Uh, it's just a, it was just a lovely, lovely game. Would imagine pretty much everybody who's got a Switch has played it. To be fair, and I th- except I think for you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not played it, but I've seen it played, and yeah. uh, uh, my daughter has played it lots and lots and lots for many many hours. And uh, at many of meal time, we've talked about turnip prices. <laughs> turnip prices are important. <laughs> I, I I will admit I have stopped playing it now. Um, and the funny thing is, if it hadn't been for, for the whole pandemic and lockdown, I probably wouldn't have bought it, to be honest. Because uh, generally speaking, this sort of thing isn't really my sort of game. I, I tend to veer more towards narrative-driven games with a you know, with a genuine genuine end to them. But at the time, it felt like something that might be quite nice to pick up and, and experience, and, and it definitely was. I'm, I'm certainly glad I did. Um, and I say, Hades, I've kind of already spoken about already. Um so I'm not going to go into that too much more just yet. So my top three I've already spoken about earlier in the podcast, so I'm just going to go back through them. So number three uh, is Streets of Rage, um, just because it's it's just good fun. Uh, it's a trip down memory lane with a bit extra on top. Uh, it's In fact, it's the game I remember playing uh, when I was playing Streets of Rage and Streets of Rage 2. I didn't really get into 3, uh, but Streets of Rage 1 and 2 I used to play with a friend of mine and... Uh, every weekend we'd play this game over and over again until um, I think his mum kicked me out. I think that was basically what it was. Um, <laughs> and then, it, it, yeah, Streets of Rage 4 is, is just beautiful. It's a great game. Uh, number two, I've got The Last Campfire. I think, um, again, we've we've spoken about this a few times. But uh, it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful game. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's warming it's sad it's melancholy a little bit but puzzles and lovely and the graphics are gorgeous and it's just a lovely lovely game and number one uh on mine is good job just simply because it makes me laugh so much every time i play it and i'm still playing it now so um even though i've finished it and completed all the puzzles uh I won't say it's got lots and lots of replayability but it's got the ability to allow you um to go back in and um, just try and cause some other chaos that you didn't cause before uh, on a level. Uh, and just the way that the uh, each floor in this building, I didn't really explain what you do in it, so maybe I'll do that now. Um, you you basically start off at the bottom floor of a, um, a large corporation, and mm-hmm. your first job, I think, if I remember rightly, is to get a projector from uh, one room uh, and set it up uh, in another room. 
and uh, it's oh, it just silly the way you have to get it from A to B, cause absolute chaos, you destroy rooms, you you uh, floors and walls and things all fly all over the place. Uh, there's, there's tables and chairs everywhere, things smash, uh, waters goes everywhere. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, and some of the silly things you have to do, like... Um, uh, you know, use electric cables as uh, rubber bands to to fly things off uh, in a sort of catapult kind of way. Um, so yeah, it's just okay. silly. It's silly. It's great. Uh, if you want to forget about whatever bad day you might have had, good job is the one to play. With the COVID nineteen outbreak keeping many people in many parts of the world inside and isolated, you know, video games have been an important part of our culture this year uh <laughs> just just an important part of our survival uh, an important part of maintaining our our sense of mental balance and and mental wellness and uh social wellness on top of that i don't say that for any particular reason because none of my games are particularly social or particularly meaningful so mentally <laughs> but i i just think it's important to acknowledge that and keep that in mind when i when i outline my choices uh, two of my choices I've mentioned already. My my best port it was Burnout Paradise Remastered. That's my number three choice of the year. And my best indie was Bug Fables: The Everlasting Sapling. That's that's my number two choice of the year. So my best port and my best indie are also in my top three. That's kind of boring, but that's just how it worked out. My last pick was where I really struggled. Uh, I actually had them push back the due date or the deadline for this recording because I needed to spend more time with the games that got released in December that I su- suspected would be my games of the year, uh, not to, especially Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which came close, came very, very close, but I've been let down by aspects of its story and the way its side content is structured. Uh I don't think it was executed as well as it could have been. So it's a very, very good game. I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a Hyrule Warriors fan or you're a Breath of the Wild fan or you're a Legend of Zelda fan. But it didn't quite make my top three. Uh, But one game that did was another late-year release, and it was one I resisted picking because it came out so recently, and... uh, just the kind of game it is it's the kind of game that i'm going to go through phases on where i i enjoy it at the start and then in a few months after i've finished it i'm going to be just sick of it and i'm just gonna tell anybody who will listen how sick of it i am and that i i I regret ever playing it and then a few years will go by and i'll pick it up again and i'll be like actually this game is pretty cool it's the exact arc that i went through with assassin's creed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's I think it's what's going to happen with Immortals Phoenix Rising as well because that's that's my third pick for top three games of the year um, it, as I talked about it in an episode a few episodes back when it was a new release it had just come out it's definitely inspired by Breath of the Wild but to call it a Breath of the Wild clone is not fully accurate uh, it plays very similarly, but the way the game is explored, the way the world map is explored, is very different from how you explore Breath of the Wild, and that, that completely changes the sense of discovery it instills in the player, and the pace of the game as well. There's less looking around, discovering things, because in Immortals, all you do is is just walk by something and it points it out to you, whereas in Breath of the Wild, if you walk by something, if you don't see that it's there, then the game's not going to tell you. So you don't have to be as observant in Immortals. Immortals, it, it plays much more like a checklist game, where like, this is here now, you should go do this, whereas in Breath of the Wild... The closest you get to that is, here's an empty spot on the map. There might be something there. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I I think there are strengths and weaknesses to both playstyles. Ultimately, I do prefer Breath of the Wilds because I I feel it's more rewarding in the long run. But Immortals, nevertheless, I thought was good enough that I'm placing it in my top three. 
I'm not that great at ranking games as better or worse or which one I like the most, so my three picks this year aren't in any particular order. Age of Calamity expanded upon a world that I was already in love with, seeing that version of Hyrule in a much more complete and sort of living state. Animal Crossing New Horizons bridged the gap between friends and family during a particularly rough year. And Hades is just simply a fun, engaging game, and you can tell that the passion from the team is there from every aspect, from gameplay to music to presentation. Okay, my top three games of the year, in no particular order, are Captain Tsubasa Rise of New Champions, which was just a pleasant surprise, Animal Crossing New Horizons, which, you know, I spent 400 hours on it, as I've said a couple of times, and Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which didn't win any of the other spots, but uh, a worthy contender on its own. Individual Game of the Year. In terms of which game I enjoyed the most, or perhaps played the most, my game of the year is probably going to be Age of Calamity. The only real gripe I can have with it is the performance, but regardless, the game still sucked me in for hours at a time, expanding on that world of Breath of the Wild that I just absolutely adore, and its cast of characters, not just the characters themselves, but the way that they play. And it's the first Muso game that feels so unique while still being a Muso game. It's got its own mechanics, and it blends it in with that existing world of Breath of the Wild, but it also has its own identity as its own game. So I've, I've spoken about it a lot, but my game of the year on Switch this year is Hades. Uh, simply put, if I look at the, the roguelike games that I've played over the, the past few years, Hades stands at the top for me. Uh, I think it's the best roguelike I've, I've played, uh, and I'm counting that against the likes of Slay the Spire, Dead Cells, um, and, oh god, what's it called? <laughs> the one where you can, can uh, oh, Rogue Legacy, there we go, Rogue got there in the end. So, uh, and I can honestly say I loved Rogue Legacy, I loved Dead Cells, loved Slay the Spire, but just the, the way in which Hades has been done just, just puts it at the very top for me. Uh, in terms of how it plays, it plays quite similarly to, to the likes of Diablo. It's extremely fast paced uh, and you do really feel like a god as you're going through. You can, Once you get used to how it plays, you can annihilate everything in a room in the blink of an eye if you, if you know what you're doing. Um, every single time the builds are, are interesting. You can get some absolutely fantastic builds based on the different gods, um, based on who you find as you go through the levels. Um, and the story again is is just superb. It's it's interesting, keeps you invested in every single run. Um, whether it's talking to the various gods and thinking, God, you're a bit of an ass, really. <laughs> whether it's um, you know speaking to uh, people who I won't spoil now um, that can be extremely heartfelt. Uh, it's just just outstanding from start to finish and even beyond that. Uh, brilliant graphics, sound just really a complete package um i would even go as far as to say it's supergiant's best game and i speak there as somebody who absolutely loved transistor in particular i thought that was an outstanding game but i think this is the this is really the pinnacle of of their gaming work so far i've already sung its praises numerous times uh, but i'm gonna have to go with good job in terms of the the time that that game came out i think for me it just hit the nail on the head of, of what i needed gaming for and mm -hmm. even now i can come back and and run that game and and enjoy it and it, it's the uh, the sort of chaos of it the calming and chaotic in the same the same way I, I, it, it's hard to explain but yeah it's really really fun uh it doesn't take itself seriously at all um and some of the the some of the puzzles are just ridiculous um so there's even one way you have to do um Sorting out Wi-Fi extenders. Uh, how, how great is that? That just sounds a bit like work, to be honest to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's the way in which you do it. It's just um, just hilarious. So, oh, fair enough. Um, I'm going to have to check this out as well, aren't I? Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> um, 
but yes, that that was my game of the year. So good job is my game of the year. I would uh, I would heartily recommend it. Now again, I, I procrastinated and I I delayed and I took as long as I possibly could uh, because uh, want to really name this game as my game of the year because I haven't finished it yet, but I haven't had time to finish it yet because it came out so late. But I've enjoyed every moment that I've spent with it, and I've defended it against all of its shortcomings and all of its criticisms because uh, I I do think it deserves it. And I I just hope that I don't in the future (laughs) come to regret this decision uh, if if there's a late game change where I turn on it. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think I'm going to appreciate, enjoy, and admire this game for years to come. That game is Immortals Phoenix Rising, my overall game of the year. Okay, so my game of the year is Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Uh, Andrew joked so much in our show notes leading up to the release that it would be game of the year, and while I love both Breath of the Wild and the original Hyrule Warriors, I still hate that he's right. Uh, I changed my mind between this and Animal Crossing so much in the lead up to recording, Uh, I mean how could I not choose the game that I spent over 400 hours in this year? Uh, And I'm also wary of doing that thing where I'm selecting the last good Switch game I played, which if I'm being honest I did last year. Uh, not that Pokemon wasn't worthy, I dug it a lot. But after a lot of reflection, I think I'm right in choosing Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. While the story wasn't entirely what I hoped for, and Musou isn't really my genre outside of the Zelda universe, Age of Calamity took a game I loved a lot in Hyrule Warriors and made it even more suited for me. The tone was much better, the story for its faults was sharper and focused, and the stuff the previous game left in a superfluous mode was actually front and centre and beneficial to my efforts in the main campaign in this one. Uh, The thing that really elevates it however is its combat which is far more varied, flexible and more enjoyable than in any other Musa I've played. I've loved every single moment of battling through Hyrule's hordes except for when forced to play as Hestu, he can die in a fire, Uh, and even with the main story finished I'm still poking at the remaining side missions of which there are so many, uh, which is something I don't normally do. Thank you for listening to this end-of-year episode of End Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X, and be sure to join our Discord server to interact with our lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Craig Windle, and you can follow him on Twitter at CraigityCraig and his professional music career at Windmills at Dawn. You can follow our regular panelists individually, Andy Corrigan is at Flame Roast Toast. I, Andrew, am at Play Critically. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S T W T W O. And you can follow our special guest panelists. Andy Buick is at Buick underscore 78. And Neil Hickton is at The Board Gamer.
game of the year this year and every year breath of the wild 